This is episode 69 with Amber Hawkins. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Now, this chat could have gone in so many different directions because the authentic soul you're about to hear from is not only an abundance of knowledge, but she's an energetic, abundant, all-round, genuine legend. So, my gorgeous fiance, Maria, and I caught up with Amber for a coffee before we recorded this, and our chats there were endlessly flowing with so much vibrance. We talked a lot about human behavior and business. She's a very smart and aligned businesswoman. We talked travel and her addiction to Europe, particularly certain parts of Europe. We talked exercise and her success in Tough Mudders and other crazy events. We talked food and eating habits and beliefs around gut health and holistic health. We talked mindfulness, everything. So, Amber Hawken is the head of a small, multifaceted Australian company serving multiple audiences within the business dynamic, as well as private and government institutions such as the Australian Defence Force and education systems within high schools and primary schools across Australia through her Calm Mind Project. Calm Mind Project is an initiative based on building awareness, emotional resilience and empowerment within individuals through mindfulness and conscious purpose. The program focuses on building a deep sense of self-awareness and flow in their everyday life, teaching universal principles, practical cognitive behavior and emotional repatterning tools combined with spiritual philosophy through the attendance of retreats, online programs, her best-selling book, The Unequitable Life, and even one-on-one work with Amber herself. Amber is an Australian country gal with a big, bold, audacious heart. She has a diploma of mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy. She's a qualified neuro-linguistic programming or NLP practitioner and a deep state repatterning therapist. There's some of her professional qualities and tools that she brings to her work around the emotional, mental, and spiritual self-mastery. So yes, this episode is a long one, but I seriously could have made it three times the length, probably even more. So what you hear from Amber in this episode is a snapshot of the world from her lens, how she genuinely experiences the world and how she teaches others to experience their own reality from within. Her journey is fun and ever-changing and you'll hear it in her answer to my very first question, how in touch she is with her inner self to express it in the way that she does. It was really enlightening for me actually because I kind of felt like I knew what the answer was going to be after doing my research on her and also after our coffee date, but I was pleasantly surprised 
And that's another reason why I absolutely love this podcasting journey. Not only does it allow me to keep connecting with these genuine legends, but I also learn a lot and get to enjoy the journey. In this episode, I also get a bit vulnerable and I let Amber start to unpack some limiting beliefs and mental blocks of mine. I've never really verbalized this one before that I brought up with her, so it was a little bit scary for me in the moment. But as the process unfolded, I knew I wanted to express myself for my own learning and also for your listening experience. But honestly, I then had to stop myself because it was about to go deep and Amber knew it. The way she was looking at me and with her professional experience, she knew what could have possibly unfolded. So I really think there needs to be a part two to this episode. In the final third of this chat, you'll hear Amber talking passionately about her latest impactful work that I mentioned, the Calm Mind Project, where she's infiltrating schools and making significant inroads into the abundant growth of teachers and students. So if you're a parent or a teacher, I highly recommend you stay tuned for that part. I actually had goosebumps when she was telling me about some of the breakthroughs she's had with the students. It's super powerful. And before we dive in, I want to read another iTunes review. As you guys know, if you're long-term listeners, the iTunes reviews really help keep this podcast alive. This one is from Anthony and he says, a fantastic listen. And he's even rated it five stars. Thanks, Anthony. He said, really enjoy listening to Robbo each and every and each and every person on his podcasts. Robbo has a way of delivering strong words of wisdom, nuggets of truth, plenty of aha moments, emotional life hacks, the art of appreciation and gratefulness, and plenty of laughs, to name a few. Each and every person he interviews brings something different to the table, and Robbo has a special way of delivering each person's unique story to the listener, so they can use this in their own lives to benefit themselves their family and friends and community as a whole. Keep up the awesome work, Robbo, and I look forward to your podcast when on the road to Cobar. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. Greatly appreciated. As I said, it really does help keep the podcast alive. So if you want to jump onto iTunes and give your rating and review, that would be a massive help. Okay, now let's really get to know the guest of the show. Who is Amber Hawken? I don't even really want to say it's me because that's kind of ever-changing, but in this moment, she's a chick with piggy tail buns on her head like um, Princess Leia from Star Wars. <laughs> um, one shoe. One shoe, yes, because I had a blister. <laughs> a person who is willing to wear one shoe to not create more of a blister at, at coffee. I, I always find that um, because it's – I think we're so fluid – it's almost like, well, what do you? I'd I'd be I'd find it I find it hard to answer that question, but I find it easier to answer. In my head, I want to go to, what do you what do you like or what do you love or what do you value? I don't know. Um, what about a fearlessly authentic human being? <laughs> that's a it's a high standard there. <laughs> um, I'm definitely not fearless. I, it's an honor to, to be called that, but I can tell you I'm definitely not fearless. In fact, actually, just for the last three weeks, even a month, I almost experienced what if I went to the doctor and told him what I was thinking, what I was feeling, he would have said, oh, here you have depression. And I've never experienced that in my life. And 
I'm so grateful that I have the awareness of the mind and emotions and human behavior on that sense and on a spiritual level that I just kind of chilled out in that, well, I wouldn't say totally chilled out, but I just really embodied all my teachings around it and kind of surrendered into it. And it was a beautiful experience. I guess it's like a neurosurgeon watching someone have a stroke. And so I was kind of on this outside of going, whoa, what am I feeling? Whoa, the mind is going crazy right now after years of being in such a quite a state of bliss and joy most of the time internally. Yeah, that was nuts. And so um, when you say fearless, I'm like definitely, definitely experience fear. But um, it's cool to, I guess, have that human part of me and um, be able to share that almost instantly on, on this this podcast. So thanks for that opportunity for me to get that out. <laughs> there you go. I think people don't realize that, you know, they think, oh, this person has done all this stuff and written these books and they must be amazing and never experience anything and like straight up, nope. So, yeah, that was cool. So, that experience that you speak of then, this is the difference between experiencing it and blocking it. Mm. So, you've obviously experienced it, felt it, sat with it, accepted it, as opposed to most of us might become aware or not even become aware of an experience like that and then try and block it or run away from it. Yeah, I mean, by our nature, we avoid pain. It's our survival instinct. So, there's no shame if, if you've ever run away from that feeling or been afraid of it. Um, and don't get me wrong, I did not enjoy it. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm just going to swim in this. Um, but I knew, I guess the only way out was through to be able to understand where is this coming from? Because I know in, in my work or in my experience on a professional and personal level that it's got to be because I've pushed something down and so it's coming up now. And so let's go in there. Let's take a look at it be curious about it, observe it rather than judge it or avoid it or suppress it or be afraid of it. The worst thing you can ever do is be afraid of your emotions, push them away and think that they're wrong because they will run your life and they will grow and proliferate and take over. And then you will probably feel because society, you know, we've known for so long, right, I have this feeling therefore, and all of these symptoms to follow, I must have depression, let me go and get medicine. And there's no wrongness in that. And I believe that sometimes there is a bridge with medicine in those really dark places. Um, but deep emotions like feeling, I, I just felt dark and all of my thoughts felt heavy and I felt like I didn't want to do anything and I lost inspiration for my career, which I've really never done in a decade. And it all just had to do with actually an experience I had, um, you know, on a, on a really deep heart level of working through some stuff there and it, it was just coming up. But what because it had been pushed down for so long, it felt like this darkness trying to get out and I had just had to wade through it and surrender and go with it. Didn't matter what plans I had for my life and career those three or four weeks, Brett, they were just pushed aside. And in good nature, obviously, or for good reason. So when you have an experience like that and are you out the other side of it now because it was yeah. pretty recent? Yeah. To look back on that, how do you feel about that of your growth from that experience? Oh, it's, I'm a weirdo, so I'm like, that was so cool. <laughs> because I wrote every day really intensely what was I thinking, what was I feeling. Um, my growth from it was a whole new level of experiencing the other side of the other of people that I help if you know some people that I've worked with do have depression or that feeling of that heavy darkness they feel they can't get through um, I went through something similar when my mum died and I broke up with my partner at the time and shut down a company it was it was a lot of grief and sadness same thing 
but that was weeks of just so I didn't want to get out of bed some days and like he had a puppy to get me to the beach. So it was a similar aspect of I got to observe it from afar and really go in and hear how the mind goes nuts about what you're feeling, freaks out, wants to control it, wants to analyze it. And even though I knew this theoretically, I had watched people go through it, been with people, taking people through processes and I can see it and observe the patterns of it. To go through it at that level myself was just awesome. Hated at the time, but amazing. And so my growth uh, is in a sense of uh, more compassion to a new level, but almost like a reinforcement of everything I do and teach. It's the way. Well, one of the ways because nothing is the way um, and it's not my stuff. It's stuff that I've learned. So it w- felt good to apply it and go, this is excellent and I want to keep on, keep on teaching and educating. So it's good. And when I said before about fearlessly authentic, maybe fearlessly is not the word to put there, but truly authentic. When I think of Amber Hawke and I think of truly authentic <laughs> and you just sharing this story right now at the beginning of this podcast shows that that's your authenticity, that's your trueness, that's you. Do you feel like, because you do a lot of work one-on-one, you do a lot of work with many different organizations, do you feel like the people are afraid to be authentic or they just don't believe that authenticity is a good tool for them to to experience life in a better way? It's a really good question. Um, I'll answer the first one first. Do, do, do I feel that people are afraid to be authentic? I think the trouble with that in its sense is authenticity is so tainted in a word. And I'm sure you know that. So well, what, what is authenticity? And that was what my book was really about of helping people understand that this um, – who we think we are is often not the authenticity at all. It's really what's underneath of what we don't want to look at. And <clears throat> and so when I'm talking the word authenticity to me, if I'm to say it or to describe it just to give us context for this, is all of that. It's including that mask because it's part of what we're, we are or think we are or trying to work through and so is all of the stuff underneath it that – so is our emotions. So is that spiritual side of us. It's it's all of it. And that is our authenticity. And it's that wholesome perspective. But at the same time, at our core, it's a way of being by not running from that part of you. And it's a practice. It's a committed practice to show up in that way. And the sole purpose that I, I encourage it or be practice it is because even though it feels scary because the part of our mind that's terrified of rejection because that's pain, emotional or physical, that part of our mind is wired to avoid it. So that's why we avoid showing up as imperfect or vulnerable or, you know, not what everyone says is successful or together. So that's why we resist it because it's being that wholesomeness would incorporate so much uncertainty, so much um letting go of image or who we feel we need to be, which is wrapped into our society. So that's why the fear is there. And it's a moment-to-moment choice. We can shut down or open up in moment-to-moment. That's what we've got to realize. That's why it's a mindfulness or meditation. There are practices that help us embody a life that helps you go, whoa, what really matters underneath all this stuff that I think? And then it allows you to go, well, what are my values and what do I care about? And understand that that compass or that true north always changes. So authenticity is fluid. We're fluid. Those values are fluid. But when you live like that, then you can hear it. And then when you can hear it, then you can align with it. When you can align with it, well, that's when life's amazing. And so that's why I guess I'm willing to push through all of that like 
oh, I don't want to be seen as anything but this, you know, whatever, perfect image or I push back on those fears or thoughts because I know on the other side of that is a deep, deep fulfillment and joy and that's what I value and that's why I encourage it. Brilliant. I love that. And so you're an 11 out of 10. <laughs> tell, oh, please, what an honor. please tell me what, what does an 11 out of 10 mean to you and why do you feel like it's important to, to express that and is that something that you believe that people should... Are you talking about, um, uh, did you find something like from history of me saying 11 out of 10? Okay, cool. Just so I had context. Yeah. Okay. So the 11 out of 10, it came from a moment where um, some dear friends of mine, some months back, I got back from a big trip in Europe, uh, four months by myself and spending that much time by yourself. uh, I don't believe necessary people value travel as much as they value how free they feel when they travel because when you leave your home environment, you leave your belief systems, you leave the habits of who you have been showing up as every single day because it becomes this neural pathway of a habit. When I walk into this office or when I step into this clothing or when I look at my partner, this is who I am. So that's why that authenticity is not who you think you are. And then you're actually a, um, you're conditioned to be who you think you are. And it's not, I know this is kind of inception work, right? But when we travel, we tend to go, well, no one knows me. So I can just show up. And so I think that's the feeling that people love about travel, not just, you know, and then there's the other end where people just want to escape life. So it was four solid months of being able to embody that to a whole new level because it was new stuff every day, which I am someone who actually really loves and craves stability and structure. So it's this balance of loving this part of this fluidity of life and something I embrace and teach and want to get better at challenging that structured part and really really embodying whatever I wanted in that day like how I felt that day what did I want that day and I had to ask myself well what do I want to do today and how I how do I want to what's true to me today as far as traveling and who I want to hang out with and who I want to talk to it gets exhausting right so then you start to filter down what you're going to do and what's more important rather than just so I got home and um, these friends had gone, one had gone through a really recent breakup and one had not been in a relationship for a long time. And we were just talking about dating and, you know, it's weird how s- suddenly you're with someone for years and then you talk to them every single day, you sleep in the same bed, you share everything and suddenly it's nothing. So then what? And so she was feeling a little bit, well, what, what, who am I in, in that space where I guess there's that uncertainty. So the 11 out of 10 came in cause I was like, screw it. Let's just go out and I was talking about the mind and understanding um well you've got a mind right and you have thoughts and the thing about human beings is the beauty of that is that we've got a mind and we get to direct it wherever we want and we forget that and so if everything is maya right so these are yogis and maya is illusion in um sanskrit so everything is maya can be sometimes thrown off as a spiritual bypassing term so I don't want to encourage that but when you kind of go well everything really doesn't matter and nothing means except them nothing means anything except the meaning we give it in our minds which changes how we feel about life and ourself which then changes the actions that we take which then changes our life in general so these micro little thoughts that we allow in or choose change how we feel which changes our actions on a micro level which then creates everything back so action reaction So I just explained, well, if we can choose our thoughts and everything only means the meaning that we give it, then you're an 11 out of 10. 
and so am I and screw it and it just became this like what okay yeah we get to choose that holy shit and it just became this embodiment and it was beautiful to I guess I don't know I'd never really said it out loud before but you know when you're talking to a friend in that moment you're in that flow and then it became this thing for us to understand well yeah I am and it increases this value and it's not in a sense to try and ignore and pretend you have this confidence you don't have it's just an embodiment of understanding well you are like every, every all of us are this beautiful magical special thing and when you focus your mind on that you're still doing the work and we talk we spoke about attractiveness and attracting people it allows your filtering of friendships it allows your filtering of relationships to get really good because you're like well this is who I am and this is what I want and not in an ignorant narcissistic way but I'm owning that and that's amazing and everything changes from there so that's where the 11 out of 10 comes from so I think everyone is Everyone's an 11 it's out of 10. It's that self-love perspective, right? So if we don't have the the self-love and understand ourselves deep enough to be connected mm. and loving in that way, then how can we expect, because we often have expectations yeah. of how people will treat us, like us, love us. Mm-hmm. So without those, so I can see that connection as well as what you're saying around how you think about yourself is how you're going to actually feel. Mm. So if you think you're an 11 out of 10, you're going to feel better and you're going to do take action in your life that's going to make you feel better again yeah whereas if we think we're not good enough and we're a four out of ten for example yeah and we're not going to feel as great so maybe we won't go and interact with people and we won't go and enjoy our lives as much totally and it's also understanding um so if you don't mind i'm like a pet hate of mine is like a self-love movement as a practice of trying to i feel like it actually covers and ignores say if we are feeling insecure say if we do feel like a four out of ten that's cool. Like that's okay. And self-love in the sense, it's not going to work if you're sitting and going, well, I just need to love myself or let me do my self-love affirmations. It's not going to work unless you understand that the reason that you feel like that is because of what thought processes you're allowing or whether or not you're just letting – because thoughts are going to happen. They're going to come in and tell you – he broke up with you because or you need to lose weight or you're not doing as good in your career or you're not doing anything or you should be further along than this or you're too old to start this, whatever it is. You're feeling it's okay to a, and that's the, that's the authenticity, Brett, is that you're going to be really human but you're also forever going to be an 11 out of 10 in that humanness. So you might feel like a 4 out of 10 but you're still an 11. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay, it's yeah. the peaks and troughs, right? Totally. But no matter what, if you're in a trough, you're still an 11 out of 10, but you're in your human phase. And it's not about going, okay, I just got to love myself more. It's like, no, the reason you don't feel worthy is because of what thoughts are catching your attention. So work on where your focus is to change it and understand, yes, those affirmations may support it, but don't just try and shove it over that feeling. Mm, brilliant. I love that connection. That's awesome. Now, before we dive in deeper, we have started off pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> just want to say, Amber Hawken, welcome to your life of impact. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here, Brett. Honestly, it's, it is. We've been connected through a mutual friend of ours, Dave Eddy. Dave Eddy. And I love that you just laugh as soon as I say that. <laughs> Dave's a, an awesome guy, but he's a very, very, very unique character. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that he's connected us. But another thing you and I have in common is that we're both from small country towns. Yeah. And we just had an awesome coffee date, you and my gorgeous fiance, Marie and I, and we talked about the country living. You're from Biloela, mm. and I believe in the Aboriginal language that means white cockatoo. It does. Cobar in the Aboriginal language means burnt earth. Oh, I love meaning, that. Yeah, it sounds really nice, but it actually means just black and red dirt okay, and it yeah. can't be used for anything except oh. for mining, mm. which is okay because mining keeps it alive. Mm-hmm. 
But I actually lived in Biloela for 10 months. Oh, wow. I didn't tell you that at the coffee day. <laughs> you didn't. So I know Biloela well. Mm. I know the landscape. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've got uh, some some great deeper connection through through the Cobar, the David Eddy and also the Billo. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. <laughs> Now, let's talk human behavior. Mm. So you've studied NLP, uh, mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy. Yep. And deep state repatterning. Mm. So you're a deep state repatterning therapist. Yeah. I saw on your bio. Mm-hmm. You mentioned on your website that you mentor as a psychotherapist. Yep. And teach people about the universal principles of life. Mm. So what are some of the most common principles Yep. that you find people need the most work with. Cool. I just want to um, also note there that psychotherapy, it's technically... What does it mean? Yeah, I mean, you can... It's it's a bit of a loose term in Australia and that's why I wanted to address it because in Australia, it means something different to where I trained in the UK with it. So in the UK, I'm a psychotherapist. In Australia, I need to have gone to university and done a few more different things to be able to classify and register as that. So I just want to be just careful with that. But... Technically, a psychotherapist is it's it's a bit of an umbrella term for people who study more the behavior and the emotional. So you're looking at the cognitive. It's 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 a lot faster than traditional psychology in a sense. Not always in different aspects. You'd be careful, like you don't want to step on any toes in that. But psychotherapy, in a sense, is really addressing behavior, changing behaviors, change, and getting to the root cause of things very quickly. Um, NLP. It's good in a sense. I think it's great. I think it's a great skill for everyone to understand how our brains work, but I got bored of it very quickly because... It's very robotic, isn't yeah, it, the NLP? it's very boring. <laughs> <laughs> I got, like, that was the first thing I did out of um, radiation therapy when I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Oh, I'll do NLP. And then I was like, oh, okay, that was fun for a bit. And <clears throat> the reason I went to repatterning therapy and CBT and then mindfulness CBT is because I wanted to un- understand and to be able to teach people how to use their mind, like how to think, not just what to think, which is kind of NLP and rewiring the brain because I want to teach people how to rewire their own brain, not to need me to do it. And um, that kind of leads into, that's a segue to answer the question of what's those life skills. And so if we get down to the root of it all, in repatterning therapy, which it's just a term as well. And I think it's like a made up word to be fair, repatterning. I remember when they gave us the certificate, when I went to put it anywhere, it's autocorrect, always wanted to correct me. But anyway, repatterning. I'm glad you said that because when I typed it into the notes, I didn't know it wasn't a word. <laughs> yeah, so. It's not a word. so I don't know who made that up, but it's, a, it's um, I guess, the person who created it. And again, there's probably different, it's probably a bit of an umbrella term as well. But when I, in saying that, I've got different skills from all of those different areas and then some. But that's the cool work that I love to do with people is that really, really deep stuff. And the repatterning happens when you shift a trauma and a trauma that's held from a suppressed emotion or that then holds a belief system in place. So if you want to change a behavior, you look at the belief systems associated, but you look at the trauma because energy emotions are like glue to belief systems. So you can try and neural pathway the belief systems, but what if the energy is still there? It can definitely move it and shift it. But I find let's just go straight to the root of it. Let's go where it was because yes, we're, um, you know, I believe we have a spiritual part of us and yes, we can do higher consciousness work. However, we have a body and we're a human being and we're going to do that work. And that means we have emotions and attachments. So we're going to work with them instead of just trying to bypass it all because why don't we just meditate it away? Well, that's all good and well, but Energy is energy. And if it's stuck in the body because it hasn't been acknowledged and felt, then it's stuck in the body. 
and that will glue in the belief system that then creates this sabotaging behavior. That could have been when you were three or four years old because your dad always went to work and even though he was doing the best he could to provide, maybe your dad was never really home. Maybe he was never emotionally available. So if you're a boy growing up and you learn, all right, so to be a man is to be emotionally unavailable, not to show emotions. And also when mum and dad fought, they would never fight in front of you. But what you would see is dad might have got a little bit handsy and then mum would cry and then there would be love at the end. So you associate, right, love is get a bit handsy, get a bit aggressive, use anger, use a bit of control or maybe you picked up mum's behaviour and you went into a ball of like crying and you didn't have any boundaries because you're like that's what love is. So when we're little what we're looking at is what do I need to do to be enough? What is home to me? What do I need to be do to be for someone to be to love me and accept me and what does support and safety mean? So it's all these belief systems are what we are, have created when we're younger. Anything that we did in – Uh, in an effort to avoid pain because that's our reflex. So maybe we learned to shut up, sit down, be quiet. Maybe we learned to actually be loud and show off. Maybe we learned to yell and scream. Maybe we learned to, that a home environment was like violence or whatever it is, whatever we see, whatever was familiar becomes home. It's wired in. And also if you and I grew up in the same home, our experiences could be completely different. Our belief systems completely different because it's how our brain interpreted. That's why we can have trauma by omission. So you could have grown up in what seems like the perfect family, but maybe growing up, you then believe that if you weren't perfect, then you were a failure. So then creates this self-pressure. Maybe you now have anxiety and depression because not everything is perfect all of the time. You're not in control. So we've got to go back there. And that's the stuff, the important stuff around understanding those life philosophies is going, do the do the big work on a deeper level. Do the meditation work so that you can learn to anchor and focus your mind to what you want it to. But then when you feel stuff come up, learn to pause and stop. That's why mindfulness is good. It's observation, acceptance. It's whatever comes up, non-judgment. But then when there's really like what I went through recently, when there's big stuff coming up, face it with a curious, non-judgmental, observational kind of perspective And then if you aren't quite sure how to do the gut work of it, then get a mentor, yes. But then if that mentor is always saying to you, well, we've got to do some more work or you need me forever, then they haven't done their job in my belief. Like I feel like, yep, there's some, I have people to help me work through that deep stuff. But then I believe that we need to make people autonomous because it's not this stuff isn't rocket science. It's just really unfamiliar to our world. So that was a long-winded question, but I guess that the life, the important stuff I guess is – embracing both sides of our humanness and that's what the, so the human work the deep trauma stuff that's even trauma by omission and trauma is a strong word but we've all got to trust me every single one of us and then the spiritual alignment work with what's important to you everything else will work out when you've got that stuff sorted so you believe that we should be going back and unpacking that stuff first is that your approach first um it can be simultaneous but if someone comes to me and says all right i want to go up as a CEO or I want to uh, expand my business or I want to relieve my relationship, I will always find the core, 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 core why. What's the driver? Are you either going towards pleasure away from pain or is it actually in line with your values? Most people don't know what they want. So I'll always question everything. And then generally I'll see that that behavior or that desire is driven from a pain point. So then I'll go there, pull the roots out and be like, okay, do you still want that thing? Yep, great. Then it was true. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But um, this this gut work 
it's almost like it's never – I say gut because it's visceral, like the physical, and that's why I'm saying gut because it's, it's, it's quite visceral. And if we embody emotions viscerally, they can dissolve through really quickly. Is that – are you referring kind of to intuition here when you talk about gut? No. So intuition I think is more of a spiritual side. Gut work okay. I think is – I'm, I'm, it's a very country term. I'm being colloquial here, like gut, like in the, get in the guts of it, you know, get in the mud, okay, get in the you. mud of, yep. of yourself. Um, gut work, I think is instinct. That's primitive intuition. I think is higher. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me do it like this. Gut work is if we look at the seven levels of, I kind of teach people at my retreats, like the seven different layers of things that we need to secure within ourselves before we can really feel like in alignment, we're in our power we can have healthy relationships, we can create things, we're not run by fear. It's like the first thing we need to all address is the question, do I feel safe and loved and did I when I was a kid? That's the first question. It's like, that's a pretty deep question. You want to go like to the footy field and ask those dudes, they're going to be like, I don't want to talk about that. But if you really have a deep conversation with people, most people will say, I didn't get what I needed from my parents at some level, even though they might palm it off or say my parents did my best or I've never really thought about it most of us didn't feel like we got exactly what we wanted or needed because, well, firstly, parents are just big kids that grew up trying to do their best and they don't know, they can't mind read, you know, so no one ever really essentially feels like that or knows how to take care of that feeling of safety, solid, firm in my foundations. A lot of people are trying to build shit without foundations. So that's really the first base and so I'll always address that in people and that's what I'm kind of looking for in people's language. Then it's like, right, what about do you how's your sensuality what about you handling emotions are you okay with this like positive and negative or these push pulls of the world or this paradox of life and and sensuality and sexuality and relationships how are you are you comfortable with that do you like pleasure does that scare you does that make you uncomfortable do you experience joy do you prioritize joy it's like that that part and then it's personal power like who am i do you know who you are are you happy to stand in that or are you scared to be rejected or are you standing in that even though you're scared to be rejected then it's like understanding love on a not um, blind compassion like oh I, I love you so it's okay that he beats me it's like I get what's going on here and why violence is something that you're you know projecting and I love you unconditionally as you are but I'm setting my boundaries and that's a no from me and so it's also to give and receive love and most women great they can give it all out being able to receive it makes it's really most a lot most of us it's that we can give 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 receiving fully being like yep taking this love in it's really scary for people because it can be taken away in our brain. Then from there, once you've got foundations to build, creativity, sensuality, personal power, unconditional love, going, coming back in and out of yourself, then you can speak your truth. Then you've got this strength to be able to speak your truth and do what you want. Then you see the world in a whole different place. Your perspective of the world, your vision of life is kind of like, oh, you and I are same, same, but different. And it's this wholesome view of people and life. And then intuition kicks in then you can listen and then kind of bring that down and ground it into life i always say to people that i'll teach you how to understand yourself better than ever before Mm. because the answers that you're looking for i don't have them and they're not out there you actually have them they're in there so let's find them let's let's help you get there so it sounds like that's what you do for your community too yep it's a big deal I want to come on one of your retreats. They sound really cool. It's only women, but maybe we should make a men's one, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So, actually, I was going to ask you how you would, if you were treating me like a client, Mm. and we talk about beliefs here, you moved Mm -hmm. into beliefs, and and I come to you and I say, you know what, I'm 
doing pretty good in life. I'm actually, yeah, and I've, you know, I've established my values. I know what they are and I live in accordance to them. I'm really, mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for that. I've made some big choices in my life. Um, set out my visions. I, I know who I want to be. I know, sorry, where I want to get to. I know who I need to be to get there. Mm. And I feel like I'm doing things that are so in alignment, like I'm really loving life. Um, but I definitely do have struggles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel some things come up at times and I get frustrated. Mm. And I think that's not how I operate usually. Where's that frustration coming from? So someone like me, I feel like I would come to you and say, I'm really happy and, and love everything that's going on. I'm really grateful for everything that I've got. But maybe there's some stuff holding me back from being even better. Yeah. How would you approach something like that? So i got a couple of questions there, but my first one would be, oh, if everything's going okay and it's just this frustration, then what are you here for? Why is the frustration a problem specifically? Probably because that frustration comes out in a way, like in a reactive way. Mm-hmm. And I think about my gorgeous fiance Marie and our amazing relationship and sometimes I'll be frustrated at something else but all of a sudden I put this not great energy between the two of us it's normally amazing energy yeah and I get really disappointed in myself for that so correct me if I'm hearing you right what the actual problem is is that you're creating unnecessary or tension or you're projecting your frustration onto your partner which you don't want to do absolutely okay yeah so then I would ask you what your triggers are what you were doing right when you're frustrated because frustration is uh it's like a flavor of anger right it's like a soft version of anger or something that we it's usually suppressed anger you get frustrated because your anger's down because i'm not an angry person and i haven't been an angry person for a really long time so i'd look into your understandings or your relationship with anger i'd go all the way back i'd get you to identify where is in your body i'd take you through a process where i'd get you into your body first like really deeply into your body drop you in um so you're connected to it, connected to your breath. Then it gets you to find where that frustration or tension is in your body. Go to it, breathe into it until I get down to like a really core emotion where I can, and I'll hear it and feel it intuitively when you've got it. Because you might be like this and this and it'll be like a bit airy-fairy and fluffy. And once we've hit the center, I'll be like, great. Then it's different for everyone, but basically I will ask you in one way, shape or form to f- to observe or to intuitively feel into or to look for it it depends on what your language is and I would have figured that out, you know, through a conversation. The very first time you felt that core emotion and then we go all the way back and take you all the way back into that moment. What was happening? Who is there? Bring it in. Get you to feel through it first so the intensity of it's not controlling the situation. Breathe into it. Understand how to embody. It was probably anger underneath. Underneath the anger, there may have been sadness. Underneath the sadness, there's probably fear of rejection or abandonment at some level. And that thing that you're doing on a computer has triggered that 30 years later or whatever. So then we'll go into that and we will relive that situation with, say, it was like your uncle or your mom or your teacher or so whoever was there and you will express that but you'll fully be in it. And sometimes I take you back at this age with, and I'll, you know, I might ask, it's, it's different for everyone, but often I'll say, all right, how old is that memory? Three, five, whatever. Great. Bring them out next to you. They're there. How are they feeling? Get connected to that part of you. Some people might call this inner child work. What it, it doesn't need a name for me. I don't, I didn't learn like specifically inner child work. I just know that if you can visualize, if we can address it, call it emotion, see it, put it there, then what we're not doing is identifying with it, which is very important. 
So it's like, this isn't me, this is something I'm feeling. This is an experience. We understand action, reaction, great. So it's not this overwhelm or wanting to run from it. It's this presence with it. And also by taking like the child out, inverted commas, you then stand in your power at this age rather than feeling you're the frustrated one. It's actually okay. So it's actually a part of me from a memory in my mind that's stuck because of this emotion, right? Then we go through all of that and that, that'll be a different experience for everyone. I guide the situation based on I would have got a bit of history on it first, a bit of background on the situation. So I would have known what things to – because I would have seen what perspective you saw it through and that's what needs to be addressed with the person. They have to be able to express all of their – everything that they needed to to that person or that situation until there's nothing left. Right. Then we do it in reverse, talking to that person, receiving from that person, then going into compassion where's their pain in their self, right? Bring their person out, go into compassion there, give them what they needed. Then what did you need? Can you give yourself that? And it's kind of like we go, it's like this um, Russian doll effect. Then we put it all back together once it's all clear and then you come back. And then that shifts the belief, that shifts your energies, that shifts your life because it's that's gone now. And then there might be layers of that and that might be tested again, but that's the root. Does that make sense? So many things were going through my mind as you were saying <laughs> that. And it makes complete sense because when I get that little bit, that when that frustration rises and then I create that unnecessary negative or unhelpful energy between and mm-hmm. I realise that the triggers are often with things that when it's something new and I get stuck mm. and then all of a sudden I go to, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Like I don't say that in my mind, but I think this is really hard and I'm not supposed to be doing this. I don't do proposals. Like I don't got no idea. Like when I'm doing new things and it just, and it takes time and that frustration creeps up, mm. bang, bit of negative energy. I know how to, um, to treat it in the moment, Yes, but haven't done the work to, to really unpack it and yep. to go with that. But yeah, thanks for, uh, Going right into detail there because okay. I feel, I like, like, <laughs> I feel <laughs> like we could have dived into a full I was full like, session. I was going to ask you, do you want to? But um, the thing is, is that so I'm glad you said in the moment because I don't want people to feel like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that and I can't find it. So I can, you know, what you can do and let's use that example. Frustration is a good one, especially for men because that because the masculine energy, feminine energy, we've all got it, but the masculine it wants to be able to do the job right. So if you can't do it right and you're in your masculine, like this could be me. If I'm in my masculine, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. That's what it triggers. You know, admit it to ourselves unless you're present. But it's like, how can I address that? You can breathe into that feeling. You can find it in your body in the moment. So that very first part I did, had a session with a client last night and she was talking about being triggered of jealousy, like, in, you know, thinking her partner's going to cheat on her. And there's so many different rabbit holes we could go down, but just say that that is because of her stuff. Let's use this example that it's got nothing to do with him. It's not because he's cheated on her in the past or there's anything. Let's just say it's because of her own fear of abandonment from a young child. I'm, I'm making this up, right? And that's triggered. So in that moment, this is why mindfulness meditation can really help with deep past stuff and kind of bring it up bit by bit even. You can find that because jealousy and insecurity is such a heavy, such an intense one. And people are like, <gasps> and that generally gets turned into anger or projection onto your partner 100% very quickly because it's such an intense emotion. Um. So you take a breath, you take 10. In fact, you find the center of it and you feel whatever it was because it won't be jealousy, it will be fear, it will be sadness. That's what it will be. It'll be, I'm so afraid to be left. I'm so afraid that I'm not good enough or I'm not loved. It will be that. So you find that in your body. In that moment, you can do that in three minutes. So you don't have to go through this big thing if, you know, in... I just want to let people know there's something you can do in that moment like you were doing, which is really good. Um, I don't want people to feel helpless that they have to then, you know... So it's, that's an option. 
you can do that with anxiety. You can do that with ang- anger, fear, sadness all the time. I actually encourage like cleaning your energies before you go to sleep and doing this process and checking if there's any tension in your body at night. Then you'll drop to sleep, mm. right? Brilliant. Yeah. One of those skills and, and learning the habits. As you were saying, talking then, so it had nothing to do with the relationships, but I just took myself back to when I was a kid and I actually feel like, I'm not going to go into it now, but I actually feel like I know where it's all coming from now. Cool. Yeah, really cool. So, <laughs> I've actually got a recenter here. That was um, great. It was almost like a, a huge breakthrough within me. I'm going to have to talk to you about this. I think I'm yeah. going to book a session with you. This is great. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. So, in your book uh, that you've written, the Unfwittable yep. Life. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, it's it's about kind of what we've spoken about. I guess I got the gist that it's about what we're trying to escape. Mm. It's a lot about. Uh, yeah, what we're trying to move away from and and you really bring in a lot of aspects around connectedness mm-hmm. and the importance of connection. So talk to me about connection. Cool. So can I just ask you, if I'm to say connect with yourself, Brett, what would you say? I go straight to uh, remembering who I am and what I be- why I believe I'm here. Okay, awesome. So it's it was intellectual. I, the why I believe is intellectual, yeah, but yep. who I am, like I, I feel like... My, ber- my being like Perfect. I understand who I need to be yeah and you're a rare gem not many people w- and that's totally um if you're listening you're like well I'm not a rare gem like don't let yourself do that it's just that we're not taught to have self-connection how many people feel really uncomfortable Saturday night still empty house can you sit there and be totally totally satisfied and fulfilled yeah right so um, I'm assuming you're like, probably not. I feel lonely. I want to, you know, pick up my phone or I'm go into, you let your brain run wild. I f- talk about connection so much because we live in a world of short-term stimulation addiction, which is just as dangerous on a spiritual or evolutionary or emotional mental level as escaping to drugs. We're still numbing. We're numbing through our mind. We're addicted to our thoughts because they distract us. They help us bypass our emotions, Right. Anything that allows us to get our attention from what we're feeling that's uncomfortable and changes that attention is a is something we become addicted to, which is anything. You can become addicted to meditation or yoga if you're bypassing your emotions doing it, which often happens, you know, because people aren't they don't have that anchor for self connection because we're just it's just not in our society really, and that's cool. So. That's what you do and that's what I hope to do is help people do that. Now, Joe and Harry did a TED Talk and he wrote a book of called The First and the Last Days of the War on Drugs and it was about drug addiction, illicit drugs and he studied thousands and thousands of interviews and he found that sobriety is not the answer, it's connection, it's community. I've worked with ice addicts, I've worked with sex addicts, I've worked with alcoholics. If you can remove if you think about where did the addiction come, my mum was a drug addict and, and um, can't say that officially, but I, we know that that was involved in probably her younger years, but a heavy reliance on uh, alcohol, gambling, um, money, men, you know, it's the, all the stimulation was her life. And this is why it really interests me because um, I feel that, when we're not aware of it, it becomes so compound. We get we don't know any other way and we just know numbness. So then we're so outside of ourselves. But if we can learn self-connection, then we can sit with what's uncomfortable and do that whole thing that I talked about, right, before, the down, 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 down. 
breathe, understand our emotions. Once you've removed that discomfort through breathing, it'll just be an emotion, it'll be an energy, it'll be a block of some kind, then you don't want to reach for the alcohol. You don't want to reach for the phone. Suddenly these goals about having to take over the world and be the best entrepreneur ever and get a six-figure business, they disappear. And you realize, oh, that was just what I thought I needed to be happy or who I thought I had to be. And that's why that, you know, that mask kind of falls down. Self-connection really is both a healing, a fulfilling, a spiritual, a human. It's a way to be in this world if you want to be able to understand yourself, your compass, how to get through your stuff, how to be creative, how to know, how to make decisions. Um, and I named it the unfwithable life because so many people are currently in the space where they're like, I want to be tough and I want to own the world. And within the first chapter, I'm like, you know how I told you that you could be like this? Well, you have to do that through softening and through de-armoring and through vulnerability and through self-connection. So it's like the opposite of what the title says. I can't totally dragged you in there. And that was the point of it to address that. No, it's not about being tough. It's not about pushing through. It's not about no one being able to screw with you. It's actually about coming back in and connecting and knowing what that is because when you know that, when you can feel that, you can move through your stuff and you know where you're going and where you want to go and you can take action from that place. So it's it's really everything. So the interesting that you refer to that book in that way, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sort of getting the gist of connection is – uh, I think that book talks about how you can't just take the the drugs away to solve the problem. In actual fact, the the problem is solved better when the people have connection, so mm-hmm. personal connection and connection with others. Mm-hmm. So if I look at that in in our lives, if we're not experiencing any drug abuse, mm-hmm. and the connection aspect is almost like a piece of the puzzle that most people are missing mm. to help them. Um, and I think of connection in ways of like people doing charity work, people being mm-hmm. in communities and doing uh, finding their community and that's connection. And it brings out an opportunity for the people to actually express themselves yes. as opposed to um, suppress themselves if they're not connected. Absolutely. So Joe and Harry, in his book, he talks about community work for for drug addicts. So getting into a community because if you put something into a corner, the biggest way to create more addiction, Brett, is to shame it, to shame the person, to shame the behavior. You put it, it grows and you will create more. So if you say to a kid, oh, you idiot, why did you do that? They'll go into more shame within themselves. They will feel less and it will proliferate. Same with the bully. Same with people you put in jail. That's why unconditional love and compassion is absolutely essential and that's why vulnerability comes into the book a lot because it's that vulnerability of like you and I are same, same but different. So I've got compassion when I've – got, I've got boundaries around what's okay for me but I've got compassion for you because when you – you know, if you – think of it in a relationship. If you were to say to your partner, oh, my God, why didn't you fold the washing again? You'd just be like, oh, be like, hey – is there a better way that we can work this so that we can get our fold, clothes folded so we can spend more time together? Like it's a, it's a different way. It's it's like a, it's an unconditional love instead of a reactivity. Um, and he talks about compassion, compa- um, sorry, connection in a community, whereas my book focuses on self-connection. However, I do believe we are as human beings born and thrive from connection because we learn so much from relationships on a spiritual level. You have three broken relationships, be way more evolutionary successful if you face the work than it would be doing 50 years of self-help, you know, because you get your stuff comes up and you got to face it, you got to go through it. So, um, but I talk about developing that skill of self-connection is 
absolutely essential because if you're home alone on Saturday night, I want you to be able to enjoy yourself. Not that you should, not that you have to, not that you have to go and hibernate alone and if you can't do that, then, well, there's something wrong with you. No, but it's good to be able to have that fulfillment deep within that shows you have true joy. Understanding what – so if it is joy, if it is happiness, if it is pride, whatever your great energetic conditions are that serve you, Mm. understanding that. And that's what I teach people. What is your ideal energetic condition – uh, and for different areas of your life and then how do we tap into that yeah. more often so you can be on your own and you can still have that amazing feeling that you had when you were i don't know hiking a mountaintop or serving a blissful wave and things like that so i can that connection work is like that self-connection is pretty exciting i'm just going into the the uh cross-legged seat yes. here now that you were I'm, asking me before got my little half lotus going on and you still got one shoe? No, you've got two <laughs> shoes off now. <laughs> so, Amber, you've had a few transitions in your life and one of the bigger ones in recent times uh, is your deeper involvement with your uh, Calm Mind project. Tell us more about that. What is the Calm Mind project and, and how did that come about? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, Calm Mind project is it's programs for schools, for teachers and kids to teach resilience through mindfulness, meditation, movement and self-awareness. Um, it came from basically working with so many adults going, oh, well, this is what we need. Like prevention is better than a cure. Like that's my short answer. And, um, and kids, oh, man, Brett, they are way easier to work with than adults. <laughs> oh, there's not much to wait. You know, you don't have to fight so much. They're, hey, guys, deep belly breath. They're like, okay. <laughs> you know, they love it. Is and that because they haven't developed all the other Yeah, there's no habits? conditioning. No conditioning? Like, little conditioning happening and so they're oh they're just the most pure oh that was so I'm just going back to you know my last recent tour in central Queensland it's just they're so yummy their energies are so pure it's so light to be around them because they haven't developed so much you know conditioning yet and you teach them and the 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 ripple effect it's the first time in my career where I mean, don't get me wrong, working with adults, I'm like, this is big stuff. I take it very seriously. I feel it's such an honour and responsibility for working with people that trust in me with their deep stuff. That's big. I, that's an honour. When I'm standing in front of children going, I'm potentially conditioning these kids for the rest of their life, big responsibility, biggest honour because they're going to have, you know, if they learn these things, if they're anchored in, understanding calm mind, feeling emotions, expression, um, understanding their mind and thoughts. Those are the four skills that we need to teach adults. They've got these as kids. They're going to be superhuman and the relationships that they get to have and how much more they feel that they can choose what they want in their life rather than what they think they have to, you know, being able to express their emotions rather than bottling up and bullying them. Or, I, you know, I saw this little kid on the, when I walked in and, and he was standing there and clenched fists and I could see him, he was angry and he didn't know what, to do with it and the teacher's like come on what are you doing and I could just see this kid's like Ugh. and obviously you know it's he didn't he's not been taught how to feel anger or that it's wrong or you know and maybe he made that condition in his own mind but just little tiny things like that uh, the the effect feels so much bigger it feels so much uh more necessary I just, it's such an honor and I love it so much. So that's what it's really about. It's that long, you know, they're they're our leaders of our world. You know, I kind of, it's a bit of a selfish, like I want them to be a little bit more together, right? So there's a lot of things there. You were telling me when we had coffee before that 
you did an exercise with them and when they were laying and mm. talking about can you talk me through that yeah the, or talk the listeners through that yeah so um at the very end of the sessions it was obviously worded very different because we worked from four-year-olds to 17 18 year olds and so the wording was really different we had 55 minutes with the little ones up to 14 and then an hour and a half with the big ones because in attention span like in one thing with the little ones really fun and practical and and with the older ones though there's some more conditioning there's hormones there's fear there's their heads are more in it right there's more it's the hardest time that time of your life is like shivers so I wanted to address the bullying the self-harm the suicide the mental illness stuff with the older ones so I told them a lot of stories essentially the exercise you're talking about is the compassion exercise I do at the end and just to give context how I get them to get there and understand that that's important is I tell a story around when I was a little girl, my my stepmom and I didn't have a strong relationship. In fact, um, it was kind of like waking up in a war zone every day on a verbal level, on an emotional level. It was really tough. Um, and I'd kind of learned to be tougher, you know, but all, all smiles and everything at school, but home I was very like in my cupboard in my room to hide away from that and a big fight blew up one day because I made you know a rep team for um, soccer and we didn't have a lot of money and she lost it she was pregnant at the time she said you're so selfish like all this sport costs our family money and the stress is going to kill your unborn sister don't get me wrong I love my stepmother right now we have a beautiful relationship but for whatever reason like everyone has done something like that we've all been there we've all done something and said something terrible and it may or may not have affected someone and at that time in my life it it really snapped me I was like around 10 and I was terrified my dad kind of walked in at the same time and he was either really sick with Crohn's disease or he's working so I wasn't around for much of it and I didn't like to stir up the pot so I wouldn't tell him because if I told him about the fight then they would start fighting and they would get worse so I just kind of deal with it but this time I really lost it and I cried and I ran to my room and I guess I kind of learned then and even at that age I understood that she didn't even mean that to me. Like it didn't – I could see that she was in – didn't know what to do with whatever was going on and, and that's how I explained resilience because I that I copped that for another – you know, I left home at 14 but there was another four years of that. And in your teen years I remember waking up one day, waking up and I felt happy for a moment when I woke up and then it's like this big heaviness hit me and I would kind of describe that as what clinically – ticking the boxes you could say depression was and I tell them like I woke up at 14 and I thought I would rather go back to sleep because I don't want to live my life right now and so I talk about that and I bring that back to understanding so that they get that if they have a calm mind they can feel their emotions they build resilience from within and that's where confidence and strength comes from because that's how we deal with bullies and that it wasn't that the bully and in this case you know metaphorically it was my stepmother whom I love and respect very much but in that sense it really gave a great context for them to get that wasn't about them whatever there was happening from that person projecting onto them even if it's the teacher snapping at them or talking to them in that way it's never about you it's all about what's going on with them and you can't control that and so we we kind of wind everything in there with them um, calming your mind to feel your emotions and then building that inner resilience and that helps both the people who do participate in maybe bullying or projecting onto others and who receive it because we all do it at some level at that age it's like a bit of back and forth right but there's generally like heavy bullying from a couple of kids in the year and heavy bullying onto a couple of kids in the year so 
And you could see that when you're sitting with the kids, you could see they sit around. And so I would really talk to everyone, like really look at them and address like when I'm talking about when we bully, who's ever, and I would say, who's ever hurt their brother or sister or said something mean because they felt frustrated. Yep. So I really related to them to understand that it's, they're doing what they're doing so that they don't go into shame because then they'll do more of it, right? Same with the drugs. So really getting them to get into compassion with themselves. Then the people who have received it to go into compassion with them, same, same, but different. I get it, we're human. Then we go into a meditative exercise and then I get them to bring someone into their mind who's they feel has hurt them before. And I explain to them that we're in charge of our emotions, but it's okay to understand that people's behaviors influence that. And so we do a compassion exercise where I say, I want you to imagine that some point in this life, this person has felt fear, shame, abandonment just like you some point in this life this person has experienced rejection and is trying to avoid pain just like you at some time in their life this person just this person just wants to be loved and accepted for who they are just like you and then there's a couple of those right and we end up with this person is doing the best they can with what they have and I say when you feel that fear or that because I get them to identify what emotion they felt first and keep it in their mind say when you feel that dissolve and settle just place your hand on your heart and so I in my head I know that they're all getting to that place and their hands all move up there's these tears running down their faces you know as they're realizing you know having that compassion with their bullying going I get it and in that place I just feel like this is everything because the they the person bullying gets it and now everyone knows what's going on they get that the bully's not doing it because they're the cool kid or they're per- that they're doing it so that will also stop them from doing it because that they then lose their cool kid perspective from doing it right because they're all there and then so they move their hearts up and I say now if you want to you don't have to but if you want to in your mind or with your hand just send them some kindness and they just like do this little thing with their hand and I show them beforehand so they got it and they palm out the kindness and then I get them to come back to the present moment and I get them to sit up and I'm like in the schoolyard this is how you palm out kindness and you know how um, rich people palm out money it was like that yeah so I show them that and that's all I say if you don't want to do that you can just give them a wink or a nod and this can be anyone even someone you've never spoken to because I teach all everyone from year 10 to 12 that so I was like you can do it to the year 10s you can do it to the year 12s you all know what this means so I'm encouraging that just giving them that com- kindness and compassion and that for me is probably my favorite part of my work because it, it dissolves that future behaviors around that helps them understand why they're doing that and what's going on and out of everything you know that's why the I guess the Dalai Lama is like kindness compassion like that's it really gets to the core of all of our stuff so that's brilliant so much going through my mind and thinking (laughs) sorry it's a long answer but context wise I think it's important there's so much passion that comes through when you talk about this and Mm. the Calm Mind Project and you mentioned there before, these are our future leaders and mm. you can change um, societies based on what you're teaching. And I actually had a guy, Gregor Schill, on the podcast and he's a mental training coach in Sweden and really high up. And I said to him, I asked him about bringing it in into schools and what his thoughts were. And he said, if you can teach this kind of stuff to kids, I believe you could change the world. So what I'm hearing from you is that you're changing the world. So well done. Uh, thanks, Brad. <laughs> doing my best. And so I've with these transitions and this is what you're doing at the moment and you've gone from oh, – sorry, you still do. You do your one-on-one work mm-hmm. with uh, clients. You do a couple of retreats that you've told me about which sound amazing, unpacking a lot of the work. You do events. You're a keynote speaker. You're doing these Calm Mind projects and just from hearing you speak, there's so much passion there and I know you do it with the Australian Defence Force but – What's it all for? Oh, I love teaching. 
Like the thing that I've done forever is ask questions to understand and then use whatever information I get to better myself. And if I feel like it, then if I have a conversation with someone, I think every, and I don't think of this consciously. I've obviously I've dug a lot into my childhood and I've asked my dad, what was I like growing up? He's like, you wouldn't, he's like, it was weird because my mom left when we were little and I got language very quickly. He said, he spoke to me like I was an adult from a little, my dad was only like 26 and he was a single dad with two kids right? 26, 27, I think. And, um, so he said, he just spoke to me like I was a kid and I was his, uh, an adult, even though I was only three, two or three. And he said, language for you was easy. He's like, you walked early, you spoke early, you had intellectual conversations early. And adults would say to me, I just had a conversation with you two-year-old. And dad's like, yeah, I know. And they're like, no, no, no. Like she asked questions and then asked more questions. And dad's like, I know she's my daughter. And he said, he just tried to he used me as an experiment because he felt he didn't do as good with my big brother. He kind of did the old way control, anger, you do as I say, son, with me. He just wanted it to be unconditional love and I felt supported. So when I had my stepmom experience, I had that. And so that really helped me blossom of that natural way of my curiosity that's always been there. And so I, this it blows my mind. I have so much fun. I love it. So it, why is it all for? I mean, innately, all of us want to do something to help people. We're born with that. You look at the, you know, Carl Jung's um, hero's journey. We're all going in and coming out, um, you know, fighting our demons and going in. And then the world's, oh my God, how are we going to get through? And then we finally find and we push through and we get the elixir of life and we come back and we've got the new wisdom. This is our life of evolution. So for me, it's always understanding how we work on a mental, physical, emotional, spiritual level. And then I like to teach. I think it's really fun. So then I do that. And so... It's both that, I guess, that spiritual thing that comes through and then in the world it becomes a business for me. So it's, yeah. So you get to do what you love on a regular basis as part of your business. So you're kind of that, uh, the epitome of, you know, it's not, you're not actually working. Mm. You're doing what you enjoy. Yeah. The shit I don't want to do though, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Does it cause frustration when you're on the computer or does it create energy? <laughs> Bad oh, energy? More so, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Boredom. That's that's your method to uh, to break through when the, the frustration pops actually, up? Actually, it's that, what you can see across the table here, which is like little drawings or I'll write little quotes down. I write stuff or there's, you can see coloured, like colouring pens and any one time in my life, there's a book, some colouring in pens near me. Um, I read, I write, I exercise, like lots of creative work and that's just learning that that's a good way to do it and I've worked out what works for me. So whenever I'm blocked or whenever I'm going through something or I get frustrated, creative work. Brilliant. Just thinking back to the Calm Mind Project and mindfulness aspect, tell us what mindfulness isn't because I kind of feel like with mindfulness and meditation, mm-hmm. there's it's not stigma but there's sometimes there's misunderstandings. Totally. Totally. So I wanted to sort of flip it and tell us what mindfulness isn't. Mindfulness isn't. Um, so if you're not being mindful, then try, your mind is jumping from thing to thing constantly. Um, your attention isn't really focused. Thoughts are catching you. Um, you're unconsciously resisting or judging whatever's in front of you. You're analyzing it instead of, and then I'll go into what mindfulness yeah, is. Yeah, please observing. Me, tell us. Like it's a, it's a moment of observe, and this is what's in you and outside of you. Mindfulness is the focus on one thing. 
with no judgment. It's like, I'm curious about this thing in front of me or this emotion in me or that thought that went through my head or this person. It's a, it's approach of observation and presence rather than an instant judgment or, and judgment is just what your mind says about it. It's an, an, an analysis of it. It's like letting that go and, and observing it and accepting it just the way it is. And that's not like a surrendered being a doormat. That's just a mental presence because that brings you peace. Then you can do whatever you need to do about the situation to make change if you need to or not at all. So, it's you know, it's accepting the weather for what it is inside of you in the world and around you. So mindfulness is the practice and it's the greatest skill of resilience you've got because at the core of it, what it means is that you're not reactive as opposed to reacting all the time. How do I stop doing this? How do I stop doing that? How do I not be frustrated? How do I? Mindfulness. Pause, observe, accept. That's what I teach the kids. Pause, observe, accept, then go from there, act from there, be from there, don't react. So every single person, if you, they interviewed um, in the university, I think it was California, a thousand people and they studied them over 30 years and the single, the single skill that came up in the people who had fulfilling relationships, successful careers and, and success in all areas of their life, the single skill was self-control. If you have the ability to pause before you react, you get anything you want in life because you can refocus your mind, you can refocus your actions and that's life, right? And then meditation is to focus on no thing. So it's not letting thoughts grab your attention and take them away. And so it's like thoughts will come in, you just let them come in, let them go. Emotions come in, you don't react to them. So it's mindfulness focus. So the opposite of meditation is to go into your head and analyze. It's almost like you sit back and you observe the busyness in the mind and you're just like oh yeah you just look at it there's no opinion about it you're just chilling what that helps with is the pause so how often so I say mindfulness pause observe accept all good and well how often do we have the skill of pausing so they help each other so the meditation helps clear you and it helps you develop that skill of focus. If you can focus your attention, you can do anything. Love it. So much I could uh, go into there. And I actually feel like we could probably talk all day. And oh, we've, no. had a, we've had a great coffee catch-up beforehand, as I mentioned. Uh, but I just wanted to say too that it seems like, like you said, you, your retreats are women only. And I guess why I invited myself along is because <laughs> I'm, I'm empowered by strong and influential women like yourself because I've had strong and influential women mentors in my life with my grandmother. My mother's a really strong woman. Uh, my coach when I was an athlete and my mentor coach, she's a Ukrainian, very strong woman. And I just feel like, and my gorgeous fiance Marie, she's a very, uh, very connected, beautiful oh, she's soul. amazing. Just the energy oozes oh, from her, doesn't her. it? Yep. <laughs> she's beautiful. Now, it's, I just wanted to ask for you then, do you have, there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you and I guess first of all, you mentioned there about your mum and your stepmom, there's obviously a lot of deep work, we don't, I don't really want to go into detail there but yep. did you do work to uh, unpack that yourself like you do with others and then also um, in terms of mentors for yourself do you have strong, influential female mentors or are you more drawn to male mentors? Um, actually, female. Um, and I can see where you're going with that because I, you're right. You're, you're instantly right. I know your thought process there, which is like, oh, women are chaotic, painful and weak. 
you know, that was my model growing up. So that's why I've had to spend so much time actually um, working through my conditions, going into like my masculine energy because that felt safer to me and it felt like I had to do that. So I've had to unpack that. But now if I, like I was just looking in my brain, the people who are my mentors who are surround me are all women and they're all incredibly um, connected, powerful women. And I think that's a result of doing other work prior and it's not necessarily whether the not they're male or female but the mentors have been very 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 high in their consciousness and so I trust them enough to surrender so they hold the frame so it's not they could be male or female it's whether or not they're very mature in their masculine frame energy and a high consciousness then I just relax and let them do the work so Brilliant. yeah does that make uh, yeah, I, I love that you could see through where I was going. Yeah, from I knew it was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to have to do this again, or we'll jump online and do something. We'll just drop some short knowledge bombs together in, in some different I think so. form. But just a few last questions uh, before we wrap up, and this these are ones that I ask all my guests. So, what specific advice can you give to the listeners uh, on what action they could take to become? a little bit more impactful in their lives and in their communities? I would start at the core. Um, Five minutes a day sitting on your bum, whether it's on the couch or on a cushion or when you wake up in the morning and just learn to breathe. And the reason – breathe and focus your attention on your breath and your mind will take it away within an instant. That's fine. It could happen for years that way. The reason that I say that is because the better you get at that, the more connected you'll get to your feelings, which will say, this is what you should do. And then you can follow it. So I, I, I don't want to say, go and take action on what you're passionate about because you might not actually know what that is or that could be conditioned. So get connected with yourself and then you'll just know what to do. And then when you have fear about it, you sit back on your butt and you breathe into it and you breathe through the fear and then you can take action past it. So everything comes back to the absolute foundation of, and that's when I spoke about earlier, safety, sitting with yourself, and spending that time and watching how crazy the mind is and like letting it go and not reacting to it, that's that's your foundation. That's your strength. That's your resilience. So go from there and then you'll know what to do for your community because you'll want to give naturally. Brilliant. I love that. Often people might be thinking that, you know, there's that false advice of just chase your passion or go and find what you're passionate about. But really it's know who you are and your passion will show up yeah. through your curiosities. So two-part question here, where can we learn more about you? So mm-hmm. social media, website, things like that. And how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Oh, I really love that second question. Thank you. How beautiful. Okay. Uh, amberhawken.com, um, not Jennifer Hawkins. Look, I know I'm, I'm beautiful and you might think that I'm a supermodel, but it's H-A-W-K-E-N is Hawken. Um Jen's not an 11 out of 10 neither, by the way. <laughs> and, um, Actually, she is. Of course she is. We she all is. are. She's a human being. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then my social handle on Instagram and Twitter is at, uh, at Amber underscore Hawken. And then Calm Mind Project is Calm Mind Project, at Calm Mind Project on Instagram and on um, – on the website as well, it's the same thing. Yes, I have a podcast as well. You type in Amber Hawk and you'll find it. Google's really great. Just Google my name. I know, but everything will come up. So um, how can you help? Well, I, I right now my focus is the schools. So if you're a principal, if you're a teacher, if you're a student, if you're a parent, contact us. And I need to be able to speak to the principal like for 15 minutes because – 
they get so much stuff going at them 24-7 about different things that should happen. If this really touched you, then 15 minutes, whether it's a Zoom call or I will drive to you if you're in a couple of hours because that's the most important thing because they've got to feel connected. They've got to feel really that it's genuine for them and then we go from there. Brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't recommend it highly enough to check out the Calm Mind Project. I'm going to link it all up in the show notes. So any, I know that there is a lot of teachers and parents that listen actually, so cool. they if they can check that out. Now, we are almost wrapping up, but before we do, <laughs> one, of, one of my top core values is giving. Oh. And I give all my guests a gift for coming onto the show. Oh, my gosh. All now, presents. the first one, I'm actually giving you two. What? So, the first one is one of our charity teas <gasps> uh, where the 100% of the profits go towards the Athletes Chosen Charity. So, we're giving you one of these teas oh, to, to wear with so pride. Thank you so much. That's the Souls Change Souls, Souls one. Change. Oh, this is the best branding ever. And the other one I'm giving you, you didn't even question why I carried a cooler bag in oh, here. Oh, no, I don't know. But the You're other a healthy gift person. I'm giving you is oh my gosh. I know that you like spices. You're just poking <laughs> your head in here. Right? You can't wait. I found out that you like spices and when you were in uh, India with our mate Eddie and he said you just <laughs> oh my you, like, you just want everything was as long as there's spice there, as long as there's spice there. <laughs> Can we have pizza as long as there's spice there? Should we go to the beach as oh, long as there's spice? Oh, yes. So instead of getting you spices because I figured you probably got a really good spicy cupboard and I did a bit of research and I saw that you were doing some ketone testing and you're into your health and we had a good chat at the cafe so I knew I was onto it here. But what I actually got you is a spicy kimchi sauerkraut <gasps> from the peace love and vegetables brand you are the best as a gift too so thank you so much you fed my body and my soul there you go oh thank you so that's that's a massive thank you for you giving your time and oh. your energy and your value to my community Peace, love and vegetables are my fave as well. So, thank you. It's actually delicious, that one. It was really hard to part with that flavour, by the way, because that's my favourite <laughs> well, one. thank you. I feel like <laughs> the seal's broken, so I feel like you've tried some. That happened in the cooler bag, I swear. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so is there anything else that you would like to say before we finish up or is there anything you would like to ask me? Um, so many questions to ask you, but I guess the one thing that I remembered so importantly when I was speaking to these teenagers um, two things I think going saying finding your purpose or finding your passion is silly advice just go and experience life you'll figure it out and trust that and don't forget that that true north of of what's valuable to you will change as you evolve and change with it don't resist that change in fact embrace every spectrum of emotion of yourself and of life and that is how you're going to get an exceptionally fulfilling life it's experience that you need don't Avoid getting your knees dirty. Like go in and and diversity. It's everything because you'll learn. That's how you'll learn. So that's, yeah, don't get attached to who you think you need to be. That's terrible advice. Just go with the change of it and go that true north. If it changes every day, that's okay. Brilliant. And maybe those questions that you had piled up for me, we can do on your podcast Oh, we need to, definitely. (laughs) Ehimba, you're a legend. You're a wise old soul with a passionate internal drive that is helping transform many people's lives keep shining your genuinely authentic light to the world (laughs) thank you so much we appreciate coming on it's a pleasure wow there she is a deeply connected aware aligned being I feel like this is an episode you could listen to over and over and keep landing some gold knowledge bombs every time 
Make sure you follow Amber online on social media and her website. And if you're interested in her Calm Mind Project awesomeness, jump on to calmmind.com and check out the free resources for teachers and parents. And if you like this episode and know someone else who will benefit from it, please share the love with them. Share it around. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.